Welcome to Philosophy and Faith, where our goal is to help you navigate your intellectual and spiritual journey, especially in regards to topics like God, faith and doubt, meaning and purpose, and more. I'm Nathan Beasley. And I'm Daniel Jepson. And together we discuss the big questions that humans have wrestled with for thousands of years. We're glad you can join us. All right, so today we're talking about ethics in the four great worldviews. Daniel, hey, why don't you just go ahead and situate us? What are ethics and why are we talking about it? Ethics are very dear to each one of us. We all seem to know instinctively that some things are right and wrong. We teach our children the same. And yet very often we don't delve very deeply into why things are right and wrong. Are they always right or wrong? What's the basis for making those statements? So that's what ethics kind of deals with. Sweet. And we were talking a little bit earlier before the podcast started that this is just one of kind of the subcategories of what philosophers would call value theory. Is that correct? Right. So value theory, or if you want to use the technical name, axiology, think of a tree that has three main trunks or large branches going out of that. You would call that tree value theory or axiology. In the center, you would have ethics. That's probably the most important. And then to the left of that, you would have social theory, so political science, political theory. And then to the right of that, you would have aesthetics, judgments upon art, beauty, those kind of things. And they're all related because they're all asking the question of what's valuable, what should we choose in these different areas. Great. Okay, so what are we going to do in today's conversation? We're going to look at how the four great worldviews answer the question of what is right and wrong and what makes something right or wrong. Those are not the same question, right? We're going to spend more time on theism and atheism, the most prevalent views within our culture, or I should say rather theism and naturalism. Naturalism is a better term than atheism itself because it's the worldview that arises logically out of atheism. So we're going to spend more time on those two because those are going to be the main options in our culture, at least. Yeah, so if you haven't listened to our introductory podcast on the four great worldviews, go back and listen to that. Uh, just to frame our conversation, we have categorized the four main worldviews into monotheism, secularism or naturalism, Eastern thought, and paganism. And these are kind of the four families. Right. And underneath each of those are different categories. So not all monotheists are the same. <laughs> same thing with those who ascribe to Eastern thought or secularism or naturalism. So we're just trying to provide a framework here without spending a, a millennia <laughs> talking through all of the different ways these worldviews could right. play out. And the reason we talk about this in terms of four worldviews, even though that's obviously reductionistic and is an overview at 40,000 feet, is because when you look at their basic premise, you see that though people differ within each one of these, they tend to have the same sort of answers towards these questions about, say, ethics, about aesthetics, about human uniqueness and value because of those main viewpoints on the nature of reality. And in particular, is there a God who created the universe or not? So for example, Christianity and Islam and Judaism are obviously separate religions. But as we'll see today, when we talk about ethics, they give the same sort of answer. So there's minor variations, but on that question of what makes something right or wrong, they're agreed. 
So they're one viewpoint in the same way in Eastern thought. Hinduism and Buddhism are different religions, and yet when you come to the goal of what we should do in terms of right or wrong, they have some very distinct similarities, especially when you compare them with the other worldviews or viewpoints. Great. So in a second here, we're going to get into looking at the question of ethics through these four great worldviews. But as we get into it, I wonder if you could help us understand the dichotomies especially as it relates to ethics of objective and subjective ethics, or put another way, universal or relative ethics. I think that will be helpful for the conversation. Sure. Let's think about two ways of approaching a, a truth claim. For example, the statement, I like very spicy foods. Would you agree with that statement? I would. Okay. How about your wife? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. So what you have there is you have a statement that is true for you, but it's not true for her because it is subjective. It depends on the subject who is making the claim. It's relative because it's relative to who is making the claim. So in our sense, we're using those terms subjective and relative very closely. They're not technically fully synonymous, but for our purposes. But if you have a statement, for example, that E equals MC squared, would you affirm that truth claim? I would. Would your wife? I would hope so. Would that statement be true even if neither you or her affirmed that? I'm no physicist, but I would think so. <laughs> would it be true if nobody affirmed that? I think so. All right. Certainly. I, I, would, I would agree with that. Yeah. So there are some statements that are universally true. They are true regardless of who you are, regardless of where you live, regardless of what you're like. They're objective because they do not depend on the subject who is making that statement. So that's the main difference here. And when it comes to morality, then the question is, are there moral judgments, ethical judgments that are objective and universally true, or all they are simply subjective and relative to the person making them? So you aren't meaning that in a way that's like, okay, it's just relative to the person, but this could also be relevant to the cultural context. I think it's helpful to point out that the ultimate expression of that is to simply ask this question. If humans had never arrived on the scene, would that still be a true ethical statement or not? If no, then you have something that's subjective to humanity. If yes, then you have an objective moral standard. And I hasten to add here, we'll talk about this more. We are not saying that people of a different worldview do not have an objective morality or that they're not moral. The question is whether on the basis of their worldview, an objective morality logically follows from that. If Christianity is true and we're all made in the image of God, we have a moral code built within us and that doesn't change if we simply deny its existence or deny God at all, we still fundamentally operate that way. So a person who is a materialist, an atheist, or a, a pagan, I should say polytheist at this point, they may all agree that certain things are right or wrong. They may all practice the same types of morality. But the question goes deeper. Do you have a worldview that's consistent with saying that this is absolutely, universally, objectively right or wrong? Okay, that's helpful. Are you ready to get into the four great worldviews and sure. how they view ethics? 
Cool. So let's start with monotheism. And again, the subcategories of this would be Christianity or Judaism or Islam. They all kind of have this metaphysic that there is a God, one God who transcends and is creator, separate and distinct from creation. So how would they view ethics? In human history, monotheism is actually rather unique. We don't think so because we've been born into a culture that is mainly monotheistic. But if you look at the history of human thought, you have various religions, various worldviews, various philosophies that regarded God either as absolute or as personal. So for like Plato, you have God as the absolute. He is the one. And Plotinus, the same thing. But you don't have a personal God. In most of the polytheistic religions and worldviews, you have a God who is personal or gods who are personal, but they're not absolute. They did not create everything. They didn't create the universe. They don't transcend the universe. They're part of the furniture of the universe. Now, here's why that's important when it comes to ethics. Monotheism then is able to give a distinctly different answer, that moral standards exist apart from whatever happens in the world And even if the world or the universe, the cosmos, however you want to define it, even if that never existed, there are eternal moral standards because they're located in the nature of who God is. So for a theist, the standard and the source for an object of morality is the person of God who brought the universe into existence with a purpose and rationality. So I'll ask you a question my ethics professor in college asked me. It's Is something good because God says it is good, or does God say it is good because it's good? Right. And so Plato devoted a whole dialogue to that question, actually. It's a very old question. And I think for him, it was a very live question because he conceived as the good and the gods as something distinct. But for the theist, that's a false dichotomy. For the theist, something is good because it's in the nature of God himself, but God himself is the expression of goodness. So those aren't necessarily two separate things. Now, we could devote a whole another episode on that particular problem, and and maybe we will, but that's a short answer. Cool, cool. Okay, so for monotheism, the standard of objective morality is God and God's will and purpose in creating this universe and creating mankind. The way that is often expressed within a particular culture is going to be a written guideline like the scriptures. The scriptures function to describe what's right and wrong for humanity right now, but they're not the ultimate standard. They're simply a reflection for humanity in this time and place of God's rightness. And so the ultimate standard is not the scripture itself. That's a guideline to point us to the rightness of God. At least that's how I understand it. Cool, cool. Ready to go on to uh, secular thought materialism? Yeah, let's go on to materialism. So how would materialists understand the question of ethics? Yeah, it's a problem. (laughs) It's a problem. So materialism, the belief that there is no God who created the universe, that only natural things exist, not supernatural, that only material exists, material being broadly defined as the physical stuff of the universe, So material as opposed to, again, some sort of spiritual reality. In that worldview, the logically consistent belief is that morality is subjective and relative. And you can pretty easily see why. If there is no God, if there's nothing outside this universe, no person, 
then how does morality arise? Well, two things have to happen. You have to have the determination to make free moral choices, and then you have to have some sort of consciousness of right or wrong. So those two things develop at some point on this worldview during the course of humanity's unguided evolution. It's not that God, as part of this evolutionary process, oversaw that and helped man, mankind establish that or guided that. It simply happened as a part of this process by which humanity developed from one thing to another. Now, if that's true, then by necessity, morality cannot exist apart from humanity. It arose as part of the human process. It's then always going to be relative to humanity itself. So that's not objective then? I mean, could you say that the ethics are objective because humans exist? Well, humans don't have to exist. We won't one time, right? We didn't before, and there will very likely be a time where we won't again. So it's not objective in that sense. But you're asking, does the fact that humanity has arose and developed a moral conscience make that objective? Yeah. It makes it universal, perhaps, if you define universal as only humanity, but that's not the same thing as an objective morality. Best you could say is that there seems to be a universal moral concept of right or wrong. But here's the rub. Grant that. That's, I mean, we can grant that. That's fine. But what's the basis for that? Is it not simply the way things are? No one guided this. It just came about. But how do we get from the fact that moral judgments exist to the fact that they should exist? How do you get from the is that we are here and we function in a certain way to an ought? This is how we ought to function and act. That's the question that naturalism has wrestled with ever since people began thinking through the problem. Yeah, I, I guess I would probably say that the ethics of naturalism would correspond to what helps keep humans alive and flourishing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a fairly standard answer on this worldview. Whatever is good for humanity. Now, a couple problems with that. Yeah, I was going to ask, what's, what's wrong with that? Because that sounds okay. That does sound okay, doesn't it? Yeah. And in one sense, from a theistic point of view, we also would agree that God's ways are what is best for humanity. So therefore, it's not wrong to say that in one sense. The question is, if there is no God, if morality simply arose by whatever natural or historical means, but without plan or purpose, you have two problems with then viewing human flourishing or betterment as the standard of morality. One is why. Again, we keep coming back to that question. Why should humanity's flourishing be chosen rather than that of another species? Why is flourishing good in itself? Certainly we like it, but mm -hmm. that's just a subjective judgment. Why is that good? Without an objective standard of what is good or bad, that's a very difficult question to answer, and I haven't really seen any good answers. And again, why human flourishing then, as opposed to the flourishing of some other species or species altogether? I guess I would say that when humans flourish, they can help promote the flourishing of other species better. Have we done that, though? I don't know. <laughs> Probably in some ways we have. I mean, as we've gotten better with our technology and that kind of thing, we're able to better understand how to care for the environment, which promotes the flourishing of different species. 
I would say that's a nice thought, but it seems to me that as we have moved from our caveman existence to the 21st century, in spite of the ways that we have made life better for humans, we seem to have messed it up for the other species. Hmm. And then the other problem with this idea of human flourishing and goodness being the standard, who gets to define what's good? Who gets to define what's flourishing? Those both imply that there's some standard beyond themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm a player in a football game and I just plop in the middle of the field and I have no idea what's going on, I will not know what's good unless someone defines for me, okay, the goal is that our team scores more points than that team. Otherwise, I'm just, okay, we're out here having exercise and running into each other. So to say that human good is a standard is really not to give an answer at all because you're not defining what is good then. To say that human flourishing is the answer sounds better. But again, flourishing implies that there's a standard of good that you're flourishing towards or you're progressing towards. Yeah, it seems as if the the answer is, well, you just kind of know what good is. Yeah, and I've seen that instinctually as well. I, I don't disagree with that. But the question is not... Does an individual have an innate sense of right and wrong, but where did it come from if they do? Yeah, and what happens when my innate sense of right and wrong conflicts with somebody else's? Right, and it certainly has done that. (laughs) Oh, Oh, yeah, absolutely. You look at the history of the 20th century, and you see not only people, but whole cultures who have a different conception of what is good for humanity, what it means to flourish, and they killed each other by the hundreds of millions in the 20th century. You have Stalin, who, by conservative estimates, killed 20 million of his own people, either directly or by neglectful uh, but foreseeable policy failures. A higher estimate would be 60 million. And yet, he was presumably acting on what he thought was good, hmm. either for himself or a mistaken idea of what was good for his country. So, again, you have a problem... And put it another way, I hear a lot of people say, well, human progress is a standard. You ever heard that? I have, yeah. I think it, I mean, I I like it. I think we should be progressing. Sure. Questions, though. What are we progressing toward? And then if we could define that state, what happens when we get there? Are we then conservatives because we want to conserve that perfect state? Or is progress by itself the ideal? Hmm. So that goes back to that, why is that state chosen rather than some other state? Because certainly not all people would agree that that's progress the closer you get to that state, which is part of the reason we have so many disagreements in our country today. Hmm. It's not self-evident, therefore, that we all should progress toward the same goal. It's just not something we all agree on. That has to be proven. But without an objective standard without a purpose for humanity, you don't really have a standard or a basis for saying this is the preferable future that we should all be working towards. So within the materialistic perspective, ethics are ambiguous and thus we kind of resolve to say, well, they're relative based on either individual preference or society's governing laws. That doesn't mean that monotheistic ethics aren't ambiguous. Certainly people within the worldview of you know, Islam would disagree on what's morally right or wrong, but the difference is that they have what they would call an objective ethic that everybody is trying to interpret. 
Right. They're all pointing toward that thing. They're all trying to move toward that thing. Even if they do it imperfectly, at least they can say, hey, there is something that we are trying to move toward. And in the materialistic perspective, there's not really that claim. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, Christians disagree among themselves. And we disagree with some of our Jewish or Islam friends about how to apply that ultimate standard of God's personhood and God's will being the standard of right and wrong. We may disagree on how that works out in individual cases. Something like football players may disagree on how they should best operate in a given situation in order to score or be most likely to score. But that doesn't mean we disagree about the goal or the standard or the meaning or the purpose of what we're doing. Right. They're trying to score. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But that's very different than saying that at some point in human development, for whatever reason, but without purpose from beyond itself, humanity developed moral standards of right and wrong, and, and now we have to figure out the justification for that. And I think the most consistent naturalists are those who bite the bullet and say, there isn't one. There is no objective morality. My favorite novel is by Dostoevsky, The Brothers Karmazov. The whole thing, all 800 to 900 pages of it, is structured around this idea, asking the question and answering the question in a profound work of psychological fiction. This question, if there is no God, is everything permitted? And his answer is yes. And that appears to be the reason he moved away from atheism to belief in Christianity. How could he get there? Because surely there are atheists listening who would say, no, 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 no. That's not true because I don't believe in a God and I don't believe that everything is permissible. Well, he is a very deep man who thinks very deeply and wisely about the consequences of ideas. And most of us don't, to be honest. Most of us inhale our values from the the world around us and we don't necessarily line them up with our underlying beliefs. But there are some who do. And they show us that there are logical consequences to ideas. But still, I'm, I'm pushing back on that because I, I, would, I would say that there are probably very few atheists who would say, okay, I don't believe in God. I believe in just the natural world. And yet, not everything is permissible. Just, just obviously, not everything is permissible. That's fine. But who doesn't permit it? Themselves or the government, NATO. I don't know. <laughs> And if they change their mind or the government changes, is it permit, permitted then? I, I think so. So it is permitted. Perhaps. I mean, there is, there's still right and wrong. Whether or not somebody says it is, it's just, we just know it. Like, well, he, and again, he wasn't saying that people who reject belief in God then act as if nothing is permitted. He's making the case that logically it follows. And that was his main critique of the West, is that we were moving towards removing God as a foundation of our thinking. But we have not wrestled still with what that all means. And the other person who really developed this is Friedrich Nietzsche, who was just a little bit after Dostoevsky. I think he was perhaps the most consistent atheist, most consistent naturalist in the history of philosophy. He was willing to bite the bullet and look at the consequences of a belief in God. Or as he called it, you know, we, we have killed God. God is dead. He, he doesn't mean that in the sense that God once was and now died. But in Western thought, we have done away with God. But we won't know for 100 or 200 years the consequences of that. Now, this is what he wrote. 
One knows of my demand of philosophers that they place themselves beyond good and evil and that they have this illusion of moral judgment beneath them. There are no moral facts, whatever. Moral judgment has this in common with religious judgment that it believes in realities which do not exist. Morality is only an interpretation of certain phenomena or more precisely a misinterpretation. Moral judgment belongs, as does religious judgment, to a level of ignorance at which even the concept of the real, the distinction between the real and the imaginary is lacking. So that at such a level, quote, truth denotes nothing but things which we call today imaginings. To this extent, moral judgment is never to be taken literally. As such, it never contains anything but nonsense. Can you help us understand what he's saying there? Sure. From his perspective, once you do away with any sense of religion, any sense of of God, then you also do away with the foundation of moral reasoning, that you can't have a moral reasoning without God. He was an atheist. He rejected God. Okay, that He hated Christianity. He railed against it consistently uh, on various levels and for various reasons. But he was honest enough to know that that wasn't simply a rejection of one small individual belief. It changed fundamentally how humanity has to think in this world. And so he was okay with that. Yeah. It's interesting. So again, I'm not telling atheists what they have to believe or or anything. I'm just describing the fact that naturalism has had a very difficult time giving an objective standard for right and wrong once you discard the notion of God. I'm not saying there aren't people who have tried, but this is very much a weak spot. Yeah, and you're also not saying that somebody who's a naturalist can't be a moral person. They can still do good things and do bad things, just like anyone else. Sure, because I believe we're all created in God's image, so we have that inbuilt morality and that sense of right or wrong. Really, if you look at the ethics of, say, uh, the Humanist Manifesto, which was written from an atheistic or materialistic point of view, they're not really that far different than Christianity on a few points, especially the value of humility and meekness and self-sacrificing love. There's a bit of a difference, but for the most part, they're still going to say, don't lie. Lying's wrong. Murder's wrong. Most of them would say adultery's wrong. That's not the question. The question is, do you have an objective standard for making that statement based upon your worldview? Yeah. Because that's a pretty significant question. Why are those things good or wrong? Yeah. Okay, that wraps up part one. We actually recorded more than this, but I'm going to separate this out into a second episode because we'll be dealing in that one with the idea of ethics based upon the ideas of Eastern thought and then also paganism slash polytheism. So we'll have that up soon. That'll be ethics episode two. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you hear, click follow or subscribe depending on your platform. Check the notification bell so you're up to date with new episodes and leave us a review. Until next time.